So, you know, I'm new to Unity. I've been here six or seven months. Ariana asked me to come over and, and deal with youth and family ministries, and I've been so privileged to do that, to work with the teachers and, and the children and families in this place. And being new here means that I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot of new things. And that's kind of a vulnerable place to be. Um, like at the 9 o'clock service, we have prayer beads. And I, I promise you, every 9 o'clock service I've done, I've tripped over one of those pieces of the prayer beads, you know. And I hope that that sends the message that participation is better than perfection. Right? 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 I'm not saying it does send that message. I'm saying I hope it sends that message. <laughs> But so much of what I've encountered in unity and in this community is inspiring. And I want to share with you one of the things that has inspired me. A story that Charles Fillmore tells about how he came to appreciate this whole approach. He's one of the founders of the unity approach to spiritual life. And this is a story about how he came to um, the insights and the wisdom. Our theme for the month is wisdom, as you can see. We've covered faith in January and strength last month, and now we're on wisdom. And I want you to hear in these stories the, um, the pieces that point us toward wisdom. So Fillmore begins, and he's, this, he wrote this in 1894, so we're going back a ways. Wrote this in 1894. To begin with, I was not biased on the God question by an Orthodox education. Born and raised in the wilderness of the West, my religious education was quite limited. God was an unknown factor in my conscious mind and always has been until the last couple of years. I was always drawn to the mysterious and in youth took great interest in spiritualism. Seven years ago, I had my first instruction in Christian science. I was much interested and took lessons of all the different schools. For a time, I was disturbed by all the conflicting statements about truth. Who had it? How it was made differently by different teachers? The muddle was so deep that for a time, I was inclined to ridicule the spiritual life. Yet I could not get away from the evidence of a great power back of the flood of contradictory statements. Neither could I understand why there were so many different teachings, so many different opinions. I noticed, however, that all teachers and writers talked a great deal about this omnipresent, I mean, everywhere, and omniscient, meaning all-wise, God, who is spirit and accessible to everyone. I said to myself, well, amidst this babble, I shall go to headquarters, which is what he, you know, what he, when he started praying, I guess he was going to headquarters, or when he pondered, he was going to headquarters. I love it. It's, it's so hysterical to me. If I am spirit and this God talks so much, then we can somehow communicate, or the whole thing is a fraud. Now, here we are. Here's the crux. I then commence sitting in the silence every night at a certain hour and tried to get in touch with God. There was no enthusiasm about it, no soul desire, but cold calculating business method. So, you see, so he's not like, 
oh, I'm only going to sit when I get the, the Spirit moving me to sit. No, at some, every hour, you know, at some hour at, 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 during the day, he sat down. I was there on time every night and tried in all conceivable ways to realize that my mind was in touch with the Supreme Mind. In this attitude, one can easily understand why I did not seem to get any conscious results, but I kept after it month after month, mentally affirming words that others had told me would open the way. So just because he didn't feel anything in the beginning, he didn't give up. He just sat and said, okay, people tell me that there's a way to open this up. I'm going to keep after it. A time came, he says, when I began to observe that I was having exceedingly realistic dreams. For months, I paid no attention to them. My business at the time was secular, he says. He was a real estate guy, I guess. The first connection that I remember to have observed between the dreams and my affairs was after closing the purchase of a piece of property. I remembered that I had dreamed the whole transaction months earlier. After that, I watched my dreams closely and found that there was a wider intelligence manifesting in my sleep than I seemed to possess in my waking state. And it flashed over me one day that this was the mode of communications that had been established in headquarters. Right? Isn't that great? This has been kept up ever since with growing interest on my part, and I could fill a large book with my experiences. Well, he sort of did, didn't he? He just kept writing. This guy wrote forever. Everything which is necessary for me to know is shown to me. Everything necessary for me to know has been shown to me. Right? So, my friends, he says, my friends often said to me, if you're such a seer, if you can so clearly see the future, why not take advantage of it financially? Right? A natural question for your friends to ask you if you're a seer, right? Take advantage of the rise and fall of real estate, stocks, etc. In my ignorance, he said, for a time, I thought, what a grand idea. <laughs> Until I learned that the law of God is no respecter of persons, and that if I use my gift to exploit others, I am not being just. To ask or use the higher wisdom to, get, to help gain the possessions of my fellows would be a travesty on justice, right? All right, There's, that's the story. Isn't that a great story? It's a great story, yeah. I love that story. Can you tell I love that story? I love that story. <laughs> I love stories generally, but I love that story especially. And here's why. In the beginning, what is Fillmore? Fillmore is a seeker. I went to this teacher, I went to that teacher, I, I, I sought after wisdom here. I sought after wisdom there. I took lessons from Christian science. I took lessons from here and there. Who among us has not been a seeker in our pursuit of wisdom, in our pursuit of an ethical life, in our pursuit of living a life worthy of our deepest aspirations? We've all sought and sought and sought. And right now, we're in a place, because of the Internet, where you could leave in, in 30 minutes, you could leave here, and you could go home, and you could hear from teachers from India, from the Harvard Divinity School. There are more videos of wise teachers at the Harvard Divinity School than you'll ever be able to experience. 
You could find wise Presbyterians. You could find wise unity teachers. All this data is available, right, on the Internet. We have so much available to us in terms of wisdom teachers. But what happens after a while when you're seeking here and you're seeking there and you're seeking here and you're seeking there and you're seeking and you're seeking? What happens to your spirit and to your physical body? What do you, what do you think happens? You, you grow tired. You grow tired. You grow confused. You grow unsettled. Fillmore said, I grew disturbed, which is precisely right. This person says I should do this, and this person says I should do this, and this person calls God this, this person calls God that, and, you know, boom, it's all, it's all so much. So what does he do next? What's the second part of that story? He sits he sits his, his, himself down. He sits down. And this is the crux of the matter. This is what I want to tell you is the heart and, and meatiness of this story. Because this is where wisdom comes to him. Right? I've got this. I've got that. I've got these teachings. I'm going to sit. And he makes it a habit, doesn't he? It's not just willy-nilly. That's how I do my spiritual practices. But he sits down habitually, right? He makes a habit of it. Be careful what you worship. What you worship, you're becoming, right? That's how some teachers have said this. What he wanted to become was somebody who could quiet his mind, still his mind, calm his mind, and hear if there was a message where his experience met the wisdom of life, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of spirit, goddess, whatever you call it. Where can I find that wisdom? In my own reflection. It's not experience that teaches us wisdom. It's reflection upon experience that teaches us wisdom. And if we're going to reflect upon our experiences, we have to quiet down and let the lesson come to us. Why do people, if it's such a good idea, right, to sit down and be quiet for a minute, right? Why don't more people do it? Why don't more people do it? Why don't, why aren't we all just sitting around like good little Buddhists and sitting down and being still and quiet? Or good little unity people or whatever you want to be, you know? Um, why aren't we all doing it? I think there are two reasons. I think there are two primary reasons why people don't do this more often. First, I, 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 met, I told you I met with Jack and his family on Friday. I met with some other people at the hospital on Friday as well in my rounds. I met this young woman, beautiful woman, beautiful woman. And she said to me, um, Chaplain, she said, Roger, I have to have the TV on all the time. I have to have music on all the time. Because I'm afraid that if I don't have those distractions, that my regrets and my sadness and my loneliness will overtake me like a tidal wave. Right? We're often afraid to quiet our minds and calm down because there's a little inner critic that some of us have that says, well, you did that wrong. Well, you blew that. 
Well, in 1992, you really had this great chance to do such and such, and you blew it, right? Not you, but me. Right? Our little inner critic just comes alive when it's, when it's quiet. And we're afraid that those regrets and those sadnesses and those fears about the future and those uncertainties and our self-esteem issues and whatever else will come and take us over. We're afraid. But the goal in moving towards this kind of wisdom is to go from a place of loneliness to a place of solitude. In solitude, you're okay with yourself. In solitude, you can go to headquarters. You can find a connection to God or spirit or goddess or whatever you call that, that you find ultimately trustworthy. In loneliness, we despair. In solitude, we find our way and we find a sense of connection to our deepest self and to God, which is one and the same. Right? So that's the first reason I think people don't do it, right? Is we're afraid. We're afraid. The second reason, I think, and you know, there will be 14 different reasons people, but these are the two that I want to focus on. The first is we're afraid. We're afraid of moving from loneliness to solitude, from solitude to connection. The second reason is we're afraid that if we quiet our minds and shut up, is that we won't find anything there, right? There's no there there. Like, oh, God, now what am I supposed to do? You know? There's nothing there, right? What if I went quiet and it was a vast emptiness and I didn't know where I was and I was disoriented? I grew up in Galesburg, Illinois, in, in Illinois and in Ohio and in Iowa and in Indiana and some of those places like that, the prairie, you know the prairie? You can see forever in the prairie, unless there's a pig in front of you or some, <laughs> you know, or a cornfield or something. You can see forever, and everybody thinks that it's empty. There's nothing there, you know? But that's a great misconception about the prairie. All you have to do is take your shoes off and walk around and you'll encounter little bugs and snakes and different kinds of grasses and wildflowers and so on. There's a lot of diversity there. There's a lot of complexity there. It's just not easy to see. And you've got to be mindful and attentive. I think people feel like if we go quiet, get really still, still our minds, it'll be like the prairie. And it will be seemingly empty, right? But underneath all of that is a diversity and a complexity of life and experience. If we would just be open to it, it's there. In his book, um, The Necessity of Empty Places, um, Paul Grishow writes about all of these places that look empty. And he talks about the wildflowers and the snakes and you know, all the species that live there, even things we don't know about. And his point is that we're missing out on all this life if we just, you know, skim over the surface of things. That there's all this life. And it's the same with this stillness. We'll miss out on all the reflection 
and experience that our life is trying to teach us. He says, it's an odd irony that the places we call empty should retain some memory of the diversity of life while the places we have filled up grow emptier and emptier. Right? Now, I lo- you know, you know, I mean, you know that I love my Facebook. Amen? I love my Facebook. I can get distracted by Facebook with the best of them. Right? To avoid that pain. To avoid that, you know, to have a distraction. To avoid some quiet. I can post the most ridiculous videos and pictures and images and sweet things too. It's not all bad. (laughs) But if I look at Facebook with some purpose of mind, it can sometimes feel pretty empty. I mean, like, I don't need to see one more cat doing whatever it is the cats do on, (laughs) on the internet. You know what I mean? So... The places we fill up have grown emptier and emptier, right? That woman who told me I cannot feel connected to God right now because everything in my life is a diversion that I have set up. And she told me that with vulnerability and honesty. She realizes that all that activity is empty. If we knew what we were getting rid of, we might have some premonition of the things we're going to miss by missing out on this opportunity to be reflective like in Noreen and in Christina's class or in Essential Spirituality or in a number of classes that we have here. If we miss out on those opportunities to go deeper, we might begin to understand what we're missing. The Blue Mounds, this whole chapter is on the Blue Mounds of Minnesota, survive as a tiny remnant island of the old tall grass sea. A century ago, the sea still existed. What stories did it contain? What secrets to the nature of life? What clues about our own standing in life? See, the prairie that looks empty, the soul that, you know, you're afraid might not be there, is full of clues and secrets. And this is what um, Fillmore discovered, right? Is that when he stilled his mind, he began to be not lonely, but connected, connected to his God, connected to his source, connected to the Christ within. And then, so he, he, gets the, he gets the habit of being still. And in the third part, with his friends, what does that tell us about wisdom? Remember with the friends, what did they say to him to do? Make it a, make it, make it a profitable enterprise. If you're such a seer... Hey, you know, the stock market is is full of opportunities for you to grow. And this is where we find connection with our reading, right? When the woodcarver decided that he was going to make this bell stand because he had been commissioned to do so, what did he say? He said, I did not expend any energy on trifles. I did not expend any energy on trifles. What Fillmore did was he recognized that there was a gift. He had a gift, and he wasn't going to use it on trifles, though he was tempted to in the beginning. Rather, he was going to use it for the good. He was going to use it for the good. He recognized that if he exploited others and manipulated the stock market and made a fortune and became Chase or 
J.P. Morgan or whoever those people were and became a billionaire, that he would be losing out on what ultimately mattered. His life was um, too precious to use his gift for anything other than the good. Right? He was not going to expend it on trifles. He went from seeking to solitude. Solitude to connection with source. Right? Connection with source to a sense of, um, of, of um, solidarity with all life. Solidarity with all life. So that's the wisdom story I wanted to share with you today. So may your life be full of connection. May your life be full of, um, of, of seeking and finding and seeking some more and finding some more and sitting still and listening to the wisdom that is at the very heart of your being. And from there, to pursuit of the good, whatever that looks like for you. Many blessings, friends.